Our text this morning is going to be the verses that we just read together. And here in these verses, we return once again to Paul's instruction on how we as Christians are to conduct ourselves in this world. He began this section, perhaps you remember, by telling us that we are no longer to live as the rest of the world lives. And then he described that as living in the futility of their minds and the hardness of their heart, who being past feeling, he said, being past feeling, they've gone beyond the point of conviction or shame, and they've given themselves over to all kinds of uncleanness. But Paul says, uh, that's not to be the case with you. You have not learned that from the Lord. And there he went on to give uh, several examples of things that we are uh, to no longer engage in as God's people. Lying, raging, stealing, slandering, fornicating, and so forth. These are the things that we did when we lived in the darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And so he concludes, we are therefore to walk as the children of of light. And so, verse 14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You know, as you look at this, this passage right here, uh, verse 14, it tells us something about conversion. Conversion is nothing less than a, an awakening out of a deep sleep. It's uh, even more than that. It's a rising from death and it's being brought out of darkness into the light of Christ. That's what happens when we put our faith in Christ. That's what happens when um, we receive Jesus as our Lord. We, we go through this conversion. And that's what it is. It's, it's an awakening. It's, a, it's an arising. And it's, it's coming into the light. So since that is true... We are to walk in a way that is consistent with that truth. And here in verses 15 through 21, Paul shares with us four more things uh, that we are to be doing as uh, God's people. Four more uh, areas in which we are to, to be walking in a way that will please and Glorify the Lord. So let me read verses 15 through 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so here Paul tells us four things. Number one, we are to walk in wisdom. Secondly, we are to walk in the power of the Spirit. Thirdly, we are to walk in thankfulness. And then fourthly, we are to walk in submission to one another. Let's look at each of those. First of all, walking in wisdom. What does that look like? Well, Paul says, see then that you walk circumspectly. The word uh, circumspect 
means to, it's a combination of two words that mean to uh, look around, uh, to be aware of your environment. The idea is that we are to uh, walk carefully. Uh, we're to, to walk thoughtfully. We are to walk I- intentionally. And, you know, as I say walk, we're, what we're really talking about is live. We, we are to live uh, carefully, thoughtfully, intentionally, as opposed to those whose lives are, are marked by a, a randomness or just sort of a haphazard um, approach to life where there's no real thought being given uh, there's no real in, intentionality. There's no consideration uh, about um, the ramifications of the decisions that one is going to make and so forth. You know, you see, you see this all the time in people's lives. You know, sometimes I look at people and, you know, sometimes there's younger people who are uh, caught up in the drug scene or whatever and you, and, and, you know, you just think, wow, you know, if, if these guys only would think ahead, you, you gotta think about where, where this is gonna lead you, what, what the outcome of this is. But, you know, people aren't thinking about it. And of course, uh, some people have uh, prematurely ended their lives because they haven't thought through the ramifications of their actions. You know, I mentioned before that I run and stuff like that. And a lot of times, you know, I'll be, I'll be running along and I'll see a bunch of guys, you know, maybe in their late teens or early 20s, and I'll see them walking along with each other and they're all smoking cigarettes and things. And I think, you know, guys, one day you're going to regret that. And uh, you, you got to think about, you know, when you get a little bit older and you're old like I am and you have to, you know, do things to keep yourself fit. And, uh, but, you know, you don't think about that stuff when you're young, do you? And a lot of times, you don't even think about it when you get old. A lot of people aren't thinking about how they're living. And what it amounts to is they're, they're actually living quite foolishly. But we're not to live foolishly. We are to live wisely. A fool gives no thought. Not only does a fool give no thought to their life, but a fool gives no thought to God's will or way. A fool gives no thought to the future, especially eternity. So we're not to be foolish. We're to be thinking about how God would have us to live. And of course, he's told us how he would have us to live. He's told us right here in the pages of Scripture. But you know, the Bible even tells us the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But actually, if you look at that passage, Psalm 14, and there's another Psalm that repeats it exactly. If you look at that passage closely, you'll notice that the two words there is uh, are in italics uh, because the original simply says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. So the translators thought, you know, adding there is no God. And of course, if you're saying no to God, then you're essentially saying there is no God. I'm my own God. But according to the Bible, that's a foolish thing to do. To say no God is about as foolish a thing that anyone could do. Jesus told the story of a person who was foolish. Remember, he told the story of a man who uh, had amassed a, a, a great amount of 
uh, grain, and subsequently, as a result of that, he had amassed a great amount of wealth. And so he uh, sat back, and he looked at all that he had, and he thought, man, I am just doing so great. You know, I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to store up more, and then I'm just going to I'm just going to kick back and, and take it easy, and I'm just going to enjoy life. And Jesus said, you fool. Tonight, your, this very night, your life will be required of you. Then who are those things going to belong to you? And then Jesus added this, uh, that the story was about those who are rich in this world's goods but have no richness toward God. Jesus said, that's foolish. So when we're talking about walking in wisdom, we're talking about being thoughtful about our lives, being intentional, being careful. And then he says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We don't need to go into any great elaboration about the evil days that we're living in. It's pretty obvious, right? Seems that the greatest evil today in our society anyway, is to suggest that anything is evil. If you say that something is evil, then, well, you're evil. So it's, it's an evil time. We're living in an evil time. What does Paul, Paul say to do? He says that in walking wisely, circumspectly, uh, we're, we're going to redeem the time. Now, this, this word redeem can mean two different things. It, uh, oftentimes, it means to buy something back. Quite often, most often it means that, but sometimes the context can be a little bit, uh, give it a little bit of a different meaning. And so the other possible meaning is that we make the best use of our time. And it seems like in the context here that it could actually just, Paul could be referring to both things. No, of course, making the best use of our time. We certainly want to do that. But buying back or, or redeeming back, you know, there are certain things that uh, we can redeem. There, there are, uh, you know, you might look back on certain periods in your life and you think, man, I, you know, I wasted so much time on that. But then another opportunity comes along where it's similar, but you realize, you know, I really blew it back then. I'm not going to blow it this time. I'm going to redeem this situation. And... By God's grace, sometimes he brings those opportunities around to where we can take something and we can redeem it. We can use it for the glory of God. There's big questions that people ask around this time of year. Christians often, of course, are asking about Halloween, for example. Well, what, you know, what should a Christian do with a, with a day like Halloween? Well, hey, redeem it. Use it as an opportunity to somehow express and show uh, the love of Jesus to others. But making the best use of the time. We have been given an allotted amount of time. And none of us really knows exactly how much time we have. You know, that, that picture of an hourglass with the sand slipping through, that Glass is, is really a picture of our lives. And none of us really know just how much uh, sand there is left in that upper portion. 
We assume, we think that, oh, well, you know, there's plenty there. I, I've still got plenty of time to go. But we really don't know. Uh, we, we've been given an allotted amount of time. It is appointed unto uh, men to die once. There, there's an appointed time. And, you know, if you took and you, you, we think, of course, in terms generally of years and how many years we have. But, you know, if you take and you reduce that to days or if you reduce it to even to hours, Boy, you start thinking, wow, I've only got X amount of hours left. That's pretty serious stuff. And of course, the, the thing about time that is so um, well, it, it's just, it is what it is that uh, once it's gone, you can't get it back. It's forever gone. How much time have we wasted? I, I know I've wasted a ton of time in my life. I, I certainly wasted a bunch of time before I was a believer. Um, but he, even as a Christian, I, I've, I've wasted so much time. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, when he was young, he, um, he wrote out these resolutions he wrote these resolutions out before his 20th birthday. And the 70th of uh, his famous resolutions was this, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. He was a smart kid. He, he wasn't gonna waste any time. Jonathan Edwards uh, like I said, was a great, great American theologian. He was the first president of Princeton University. And um, interestingly, he died at a relatively young age. He was suddenly stricken with an illness that nobody ever thought would have killed him, but it did kill him. So he had a consciousness from, from a young age that you know, he didn't have that much time. You know, I wonder if we were told today how much time we have left... How would you alter your life if you were told, look, you've got five years left to live? How, how would you change your life? Well, if you would drastically change your life, then that means your priorities are seriously out of whack. You, you need to get them sorted out regardless of how long you have. You, you obviously don't know how long you have. None of us do. But redeeming the time, making the best use of the time. That's what, that's what walking in wisdom looks like. And then he says, he says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Knowing the will of God, the wise person seeks to know God's will. And God has a will. And since Paul is writing to Christians here, we know that, that Paul's making reference to the specific will of God. God has a plan for you that's different than his plan for me. He has a unique will and purpose for each one of us, and the wise person seeks that out. You've probably heard somebody say, uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You know what? That's true. God loves people. And he has a plan for their lives. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. 
And the wise person is a person who says, I want to know what that purpose is. I want to discover that purpose. I want to live in the center of that purpose. I, I want to do that. I want to be in the, in the center of God's will. And to the best of my ability, I have sought to do that over the years. And many times, you know, different things would come up and uh, maybe some opportunities and I, I would make a decision not to go in a certain direction. People say, well, why didn't you do that? Well, I, I want to be in the center of God's will. And although that looked good and exciting and it was even desirable, at the end of the day, I just didn't really see that as what God had. It wasn't, wasn't God's will. So know this. God has a will. He has a plan for you. And if you're walking in wisdom, if you're living like a wise person, you're going to be seeking to discover that to understand that and to walk in that. So we're to walk in wisdom. Secondly, we are to walk, he said, in the power of the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit, he said. But notice in verse 18, before that he said, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's obvious that Paul is making some kind of connection between these two things. Why would the apostle connect drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit? What is the connection? Well, I think the connection here is really that in both cases, we are coming under an outside influence. And what Paul is saying is don't come under the influence of uh, the destructive uh, power of, of alcohol, rather come under the influence of the constructive power of the Holy Spirit. See, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, he says. And the word dissipation, there's one Greek word that's translated um, dissipation here in the NIV and the ESV, it's translated debauchery. In the HCSB, it, uh, the translated there, translation there is, is a reckless life. And then we read the NLT today, and uh, the NLT translates it uh, a ruined life. So the idea is that if you come under the influence and the, the power of either one of these things, one of them is going to destroy you. The other one is going to bless you and build you up. So obviously, don't come under the influence of the destructive force. Do not be drunk with wine. How many millions of lives have been destroyed through the abuse of alcohol? I would guarantee it's more than the lives that have been destroyed through drugs. Not to say that you should use drugs. You shouldn't. They'll destroy you as well. But our, going back to our crazy culture, isn't it so nutty? Um, you know, this, this TV program, Breaking Bad, you know, about the, the crystal meth dealers and all of that stuff. You, you heard about the controversy where they made these Breaking Bad dolls and they put them in Toys R Us. And, um, you know, there's these guys in the program, and they're basically drug uh, manufacturers and drug deals. And now they got a little Breaking Bad dolls. And so some mom goes into Toys R Us, and she sees that and says, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. 
So she complains and you know, some people uh, voiced their concern about it and Toys R Us ended up pulling it out. I was reading an article yesterday where the actor, he's so offended you know, that Toys R Us would pull his doll out of their store. You know, I'm thinking, really? Are you kidding? I mean, you, know, you, need, you, need a, you need a doll of yourself in a toy store? Is that where you're finding your identity and your fulfillment? You know, craziness. But the, but the destructive nature of these things, and, you know, we glorify them. But like I said, how many millions of lives have been destroyed through the abuse of alcohol? How many murders were committed under the influence of alcohol? I guarantee lots. Lots and lots, many cases of manslaughter, adultery, rape, violence, domestic violence, poverty, loss of health, premature death, disease. These things are connected to excessive uses of alcohol, abusing alcohol. Paul says, do not be drunk. That's an abuse. That's an excess. He doesn't say, do not have a drink. He says, do not be drunk. So we must be very, very wise and very careful there. I've oftentimes quoted from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was not only a a great preacher and a pastor, but he was also a physician prior to going into the ministry. And in his commentary on Ephesians, the fifth chapter, uh, he wrote this in, in regard to this text here and the comparison between Um, alcohol and the spirit. Let me read to you what he says. He said, wine, alcohol, pharmacologically speaking, is not a stimulant. It is a depressant. It depresses first and foremost the highest centers in the brain, the centers that control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything, In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest, these are the things that alcohol suppresses. And you know, it's true. It's so true. I think of the things that I did under the influence of alcohol as a young person uh, that I never would have done had I not been under that influence. I've, uh, you know, had seen things my friends did. I've heard stories about the things that people have done. Your, your, your judgment is affected and you do foolish things. You do things that you would never normally do, things that you could regret for the rest of your life. But in contrast to that, Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, what the Holy Spirit does, however, is the exact opposite. If it were possible to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants for that is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind and the intellect, the heart and the will. So you see, Paul says in these days as God's people, don't be putting yourself under the influence of these destructive forces. No, put yourself under the influence of the Spirit. And and why do people put themselves under the influence of these destructive forces? Well, they, they think that, well, this is going to help me somehow. I was just, you know, I was just back east. And um, uh, last week I was with t- uh, two of my friends came to New York City. One lives in New Jersey, one lives in Florida. And they came, we had a, a, a ministry meeting together in New York. And um, 
as we got together and we were kind of planning our day, suddenly, you know, one of my friends gets a call and, uh, you know, somebody in his church has gone on a drinking binge and the marriage is all now uh, jeopardized and there's a new baby. And, you know, it's a horrible situation. So our, our day was you know, kind of ruined. We didn't get to do the things that we wanted to do. We had to get in his car, go back and deal with this. But he's telling me about this person, a young guy, 32 years old or whatever. And he, and he just goes into this state where um, in order to handle stuff, whenever he's got pressure and he's got some things going on, he's, I think in his case, you know, his mother's uh, terminally ill. And instead of turning to the Lord for the comfort and the strength and everything he needs, he just turns to a bottle. And he goes into a dark room and he gets a bottle of hard liquor and he downs it and he just gets completely drunk out of his mind. And then he'll get in a car and go drive somewhere. He doesn't even know, you know where he went or how he got there, things like that. And you, know, you hear stories like that and you think, oh, how tragic. A few years ago, my, uh, my sister's stepson, at a very young age, in his uh, late 20s, died of alcohol-related disease. Just because in his struggles, you know, he, he would uh, go, to the, go to the bottle. Paul says, go to the Lord. Go to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one. He's going to give you the real comfort. He's, the, you know, comfort. I was saying this last service, but, um, you know, there, there's the whiskey called Southern Comfort. And I was calling, the last service I was talking about, I was calling it Sweet Comfort. That was a band back in the, uh, <laughs> back in the 60s and 70s here at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Comfort. But, but you know, you think, I mean, that's, you know, so here's this whiskey and it's Southern Comfort. I mean, come on, comfort? You need comfort from this? No, there's no comfort in a bottle. But the Holy Spirit is the comforter. That's what he does. So Paul is saying, don't be drunk, but rather be filled. And the idea here is be filled continually. It's, it's literally be being filled with the Spirit. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But then he goes on and he says two more things. We are to walk in thankfulness, and then we are to walk in submission to one another. Walking in thankfulness. We have so much to be thankful for. And, and, you know, for me personally, before I became a Christian, I didn't really think in terms of being thankful about anything. I mostly complained about everything and felt like I didn't have enough or what, what I deserved or whatever. And, um, but, you know, when I became a Christian, I realized, wow, I have got so much to be thankful for. Because not only just in a general sense has God blessed me and taken care of me, but then I start to realize, wow, these things that I would never necessarily think of in the context of God's goodness, the reality is I experience these things because God created it to be so. You know, every plate of food you sit down and eat, you've got to thank God for it. Because had he not made it, or the ingredients for it at least, you would not enjoy it, would you? So when we sit down and we give thanks for our meal, one of the things we're doing is we're just expressing to God, thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your goodness. In some ways, it's a little bit 
tragic that we, we live in, in a society where we're not even conscious sometimes of the, the process that our food goes through in order to become our food. You know, I guarantee there are kids that, that grow up in cities who go to liquor stores and grocery stores. They've never been you know, to a farm. They've never been to a ranch. They've never been out in the country. They've never seen a field. They, you know, I, I guarantee there are kids out there that have no idea that this stuff, that they go to the market and pick up, that it, it actually comes from a farm. It comes from a field. Because God created the seeds and he created the seasons and the rain and the soil, you know, all of those things. So again, we have so many things to be thankful for. God has been so good to us. Paul says, walk in thanksgiving. And you know, sometimes it's in these smaller, seemingly smaller things that the real difference is shown. When, when you find a person who's just a thankful person, wow, that's impressive. They're few and far between. So to find someone that's just thankful, that, there's something about that. People want to know about that. People are intrigued by that. Just an attitude of thankfulness can itself be an effective um, tool in creating an, an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. But then he also says, walk in submission to one another. And the, the picture here is that of, a, of an attitude of yieldedness toward one another. You know, that, that we're yielding to one another, that we're, that we're giving place to one another, that we're preferring one another would be another way to look at it. You know, when you pull up at a four-way stop, what do you do? You yield. You yield to the person on your right. You give them, they have the right of way. You let them go. And so in, in life, as we go through life, it's easy to get into the trap of uh, me first. Hey, I was there. That's my place. No, you, you know, you yield. I, I'm not going to yield. But the spirit of God's people is to be this spirit of mutual submission, which is this, this yieldedness where we're just, you know, preferring each other. Now, as you know, and as I said, I, I was just in New York City. They don't know much about yielding in New York City. <laughs> it's a very non-yielding culture. And I have to confess that I found myself sort of just getting sucked up into the culture. And, you know, people honking at you and people shaking their fist at you. And, and in there, they just come right out and, you know, say things to you as well. And, you know, there, for a couple of occasions, I'm walking across the street and I find myself, yeah, I'll tell you something, you know, and, <laughs> and I thought, wait a second, you know, I'm just visiting here. I don't need to take on the, the New York personality. But as God's people, there should be, and, and you know, another way to understand it would just be a graciousness about us, walking in graciousness. Preferring others. And like I said, sometimes it's these small things, you know, you're in the market, you give someplace a, a, a person preference in line. You know, you're, bo you're both coming up and then you just step back and say, no, no, you go ahead. No, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Really? Yeah, no, it's fine. Oh, thank you so much. If we did, if we did that kind of thing more often, those are the little things that can 
turn into bigger things and turn into great things potentially. Give us opportunities that we might not otherwise have. But as we now go back for a moment to the filling with the Spirit, here's the thing. If we are continually seeking to be filled with the Spirit, everything else will take care of itself. So that's what I want to emphasize as we close. It's the, it's the emphasis on being filled, as Paul says, be being filled with the Spirit. Because if I'm filled with the Spirit, then of course I'm going to be walking in wisdom. I'm not going to be living foolishly if I'm under the influence and the control of the Spirit. If I'm under the influence of the Spirit, I'm, I'm going to have those fruits of the Spirit manifesting in my life. If I'm under the influence of the Spirit, I am going to be thankful. I am going to be yielded. I am going to be gracious. So, what does he mean? Be, be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled, continually filled. How does that happen? Well, Paul tells us here. He says, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. Now, the question is, is Paul talking about uh, the outcome of being filled with the Spirit, or is he talking about the means to attaining the filling in the Spirit? I actually think he's referring to both. So how am I filled with the Spirit continually? Because he tells us to do that. He, so it's something that we seemingly have the ability to um, help in that process of that happening to us. What does that look like? Well, here's the thing. As we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as we communicate with other, uh, one another the things of the Spirit, the things that God's doing in our lives, the things that God's speaking to us, the things that God's showing us, as we do that, that contributes to being filled with the Spirit. You know, I was talking to my, um, my son and I were out the other day having coffee, and we were talking about just conversation about spiritual things. And he was telling me, he said, you know, I love to talk, um, you know, when, when we talk about God loving us, I don't want to just stop with, yeah, I know God loves me. I want to talk about all of the, uh, the implications of that or all of the evidences for that. You know, let, God loves us, but let's see, how does he love us? How did he demonstrate his love to us? And what does that mean for me personally? And as we were talking and as he was sharing that with me and as I was listening to what he was saying, I think, you know, that's really what Paul's talking about here, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We're communicating back and forth with one another the things of the Spirit. And as a result, we are then being filled with the Spirit. But then there's the singing and the making music in your heart to the Lord. You know, as you just praise the Lord on your own, by yourself, in your car, on the job, under your breath, or walking down a street or, or whatever you're doing. And notice, singing in your heart to the Lord. There's just something going on between you and the Lord. Isn't it amazing that we can do that? That we can just sing to the Lord. We can just, 
you know, we don't have to be in any particular location. We can just simply, you know, Lord, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bless you. I just, I'm gonna thank you. I'm gonna sing to you. And, you know, one of those praise songs that we know that we have etched in our minds, we just take that and intentionally direct it toward the Lord. And as we do things like that, these are the things that lend to being filled with the Spirit. So, I would say this. Make sure you give yourself over frequently to spiritual things. That's how we're going to continue to be filled with the Spirit. Giving ourselves over frequently to times of prayer. You know, as you spend time in prayer, this is a time where you're being filled with the Spirit. Give yourself frequently to times of prayer. Stop and pray. Take opportunities to pray with other believers, people that you know. And as you do that, realize that this is, this is what Paul's talking about, being filled with the Spirit. Give yourself frequently to at times of meditation on God's word. And frequently is the, the key word here. You know, if we're just occasionally getting time to meditate on God's word, we're not going to maintain that, that fullness that the apostle is talking about here. We need to do this frequently. We need to do this often. And of course, in saying that, that might mean that we're going to have to adjust some priorities but remember, if we're redeeming the time, then that shouldn't be an issue because we're going to realize, you know, a lot of the things we're doing are just a waste of time. I don't need to do this. And so instead, how do I redeem the time? Well, instead of doing this thing that's, you know, absolutely unprofitable spiritually in any way, shape, or form, or maybe in other ways as well, instead of doing this, I'm going to give time to the meditation on the word. I'm going to seek to know it better and to understand it more clearly and to have it more a part of my life. Giving ourselves frequently to worship and service to Jesus as we do the things that we do in uh, the area of service, that we're really doing them as unto the Lord. Then you'll walk in wisdom. Then you'll walk in the power of the Spirit. Then you will walk in thankfulness. Then you will walk in love. So be being filled with the Spirit. That's the word. Let's be filled with the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, the possibilities are limitless. All that God will do in us and all that he will do through us. Let's pray. And so, Lord, this morning, this afternoon, we uh, just thank you for your desire that we be filled with the Spirit. And the provision of the Spirit that you have made so that we can be filled. And that's our prayer today. Fill us.
with your spirit. Help us to do those things that will lend to us being continually filled with your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.